Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? What is going on? How's everybody holding up out there? Hope everybody's in good spirits, feeling healthy, feeling sane. Feeling productive even so as we've now moved into the month of May. Hopefully brighter skies, sunshine, maybe a little bit of confetti and some unicorns are in our life as opposed to what's taken place over the last couple of months as we move forward and talk about everything that's happening in the world of sports. You've come to the right place to listen to it all here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast and this is your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this content. And for those who've been banging with me for now 129 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Monday, May the 4th. May the 4th be with you for all the Star Wars fanatics out there here in the year of our Lord 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What will be discussed here over the course of the next hour or so is as follows. The NFL has lost a true legend in coaching as early this morning. Don Shula passed away at the age of 90. We'll get into his career, what he's meant to the NFL as the winningest coach in NFL history to go on top of his perfect season back in 1972. So we'll pay tribute to the man who is certainly not only a legend down in Miami, but of course throughout the NFL. We'll also get into the NFL schedule a little bit. And believe it or not, the international games will not be played next year. So you know how happy I am about that. Major League Baseball, they're playing a dangerous game right now with the owners and players and the perception in the public's eyes. You'll get a breakdown of what I feel that the players and owners should do, and it's pretty much a no-brainer. And you would think wherever they're huddled, they've certainly been discussing this probably for days and weeks on end. You'll get my take on what the owners and players that possibly could be skating on thin ice with the fans and its public, and it's certainly a game that they will not win. We'll also get into the last dance, parts five and six last night, which if you haven't watched it, I don't know what you've been doing. You're missing out on just... Some of the most fabulous content. And not only that, you kind of wonder, will this spawn a bunch of other documentaries? Not to say that The Last Dance is the first and is the end-all be-all of documentaries. Because as we all know, they've been doing this since the beginning of time. But considering the way this has been much hyped and highly anticipated, you kind of wonder what this may mean moving forward for a lot of documentaries. Especially with players and teams of the 21st century. So you'll get my two cents on that. Also, my hero and zero of the week. But we're going to start off this podcast discussing the key to the return of sports. And I get I've had this theme here for the last few weeks as to when will sports return, will sports return, if it's going to return, when, etc. And we know that from week to week, this thing could change in a heartbeat. Now, as you've been listening or if you have listened to my podcast here in the last six or seven weeks... I've tried to not only be at an even keel, I've also tried to be real about it, but I certainly haven't gotten to a point where I've said, oh, sports are going to come back July 1st, I can't wait, let's get this party started, and away we go. 
Nor have I been on the other end where it's like, oh, it's never coming back. This is a disaster. There's no way, shape, or form that we're going to see sports here in 2020, maybe into 2021. I certainly haven't taken that tact either. Me, how I look at it is, is that as much as I could process all the information that comes out throughout the course of the week from all the leagues, from all of the governors, the health and state officials, gathering all this information to try to decipher whether or not games will be played, whether leagues will restart or start, in this case, if you're Major League Baseball. And what I've come to draw the conclusion of this week is to me, the key of sports returning is pretty much one word. And the one word is very simple, but also very controversial. And that one word is testing. Testing of not only just the players, but also the coaches, the GMs, the traveling parties of all of these teams. And it's not just as we all know the players. You have so many people that are involved when it comes to teams whether it is the front office, whether it is the medical people, the equipment managers, you name it. When it all boils down to is whether or not these players and all the personnel will get testing. And the question to that is absolutely. When you're dealing with millionaires and world-class athletes, we all know that these players must be tested, if not weekly, then daily. But it's not even just the players. We also got to factor in all the other people that I mentioned that are certainly very important And making sure the team functions. Because we could all look at it from what happens inside the 94 feet in the NBA. Or inside the diamond. Or the ice. Whether you're the NHL. All that doesn't matter if a coach comes down with it. Or equipment manager. Or team physician. Whatever it may be. But then the ethical question plays into factor. If these players are getting these tests not only on a daily basis. What does this mean for the rest of the American public? the people that are in the hot zones or in the epicenter here in New York or some other regions here in the country that certainly cannot get testing. What does it mean for those people? Are those people less important than the NBA player? Are those people less important than the Major League Baseball player or the NHL coach or the tennis player, golf player, etc.? It goes on down the list and it's a very valid question. And it's a question that I certainly can't answer because why do these athletes get the special attention, the special care? What makes them better than the average Joe that's just trying to get to work day in and day out to feed his family? And we know why that they're getting this care because they are athletes and they take very good care of themselves as we all know. But at the same time, we've seen it come down the pike with the two guys in the NBA, Von Miller there, even though they finished playing football, he got this or contracted this a few weeks after the season, we can go on down the list. And we all know that in this country, in order for us to get to the new normal, testing is pivotal, not only just in the hotspots of this country, but throughout the entire country. And I've heard stories over the last week where people have been able to set up an appointment for a test online, and within 48 hours, not only do they have the test, but they already get the results. Now, we don't know how accurate they are. I'm sure they're accurate enough to the point where I'm sure you'd feel secure knowing that, hey, if you are negative or positive, that the test does work. Whether it's that or you just have to set an appointment and wait to get your test and your test results probably within seven to 10 days. 
And until we get to that point, that's where I feel that sports will be part of the American fabric again because even if you get the testing, and let's say these leagues do start up July 1st, and as I've said before in the past, what's going to happen with the player, whether it's Giannis Antetokounmpo on the Milwaukee Bucks or the 12th man on that team, or it's one of the assistant coaches, or it's one of the equipment guys, or it's one of the video guys, one of those guys contracted. Now we get that those guys in particular, they'll be set off to the side 14 days, we'll wait for them to come back. But who knows if that person was asymptomatic and he passed it on to somebody else, whether it's the sixth man on the team, the superstar on the team, or like I said, the guy who's in garbage time at the end of these playoff games when they're up by 20 or down by 20. What if one of those guys gets it and then you have to interrupt the series for two weeks or, God forbid, have to scrap the whole thing altogether? And as imperative as testing is, in order to get sports back, that's the one thing that's going to be, everybody's going to be on that tightrope wondering if and when that particular person on any team is going to come down with this thing and then what do you do from there? And that's what makes this whole thing very precarious because, listen, nobody wants sports back as much as I do. And I know there's countless other fans and people not only that are fans like myself who produce podcasts or in the media or obviously on these teams and fans of these teams, nobody wants sports back more than any of us. But at the same time, we know that all it takes is just that one person to just shut down the whole thing and then where do you go from there? You can't start a postseason series and let's say, for instance, the first series is best of five. You make it through that, okay, fine. You get to the second round, it's seven games and we usually know that if it's a seven-game series, it's going to be anywhere between 10 days to 14 days. So let's say now it's game five, it's a pivotal game five and somebody comes down with the coronavirus. What do you do? Now you got to scrap it for two weeks and then pick up game five where that may be where the other games in each conference continue to take place and now we have to put that series on hold until that person gets better or pretty much the whole team has to be quarantined until they can resurface really both teams for that matter because then you also got to think about the other players on the other team which makes this whole thing super dicey and I'm not trying to cast a ginormous dark cloud here people but this is the reality of it and I understand I may have said that in different variations over the last few weeks, but this past week when I really got to sit and think about it, especially when it comes to testing, and this goes for everybody, not even just for the sports world, but considering that this is what I do and talking about what's happening in the world of sports, the most important thing is is that if these leagues do happen to get back on the beam here, they certainly are holding their breaths, even if they get testing every five minutes. They're certainly holding their breaths, wondering and hoping that this thing doesn't resurface with any of their personnel until the end of these seasons. In particular, the NHL and NBA. Now with baseball, that's a whole other story, and I'm going to get to them a little bit later on as far as the dangerous game that I mentioned from the outset. And baseball, although it's a sport that you could look at from a standpoint that they can have some social distancing, But as we all know, that is also very tricky because you're going to have the proximity between the umpire, the catcher, and the batter. Granted, they're still a couple of feet apart, but they're still six feet. I mean, the umpire is pretty much hovering over the catcher, breathing on him. 
And who knows, you get a hot 95 degree day somewhere and the umpire is sweating profusely and he's on top of the catcher. I mean, what does that do for the catcher? It certainly doesn't help him. And then you'll have a runner get to first base between the runner, the first baseman, and then you have the first base coach who's usually off to the side, but the first base coach has to relay some signals and certainly give a heads up to whatever the situation may be at that time. Forget about plays at the plate and slides at second. Of course, that happens throughout the course of a game. But baseball, as much as they could try to social distance, it's still an uneasy situation based on what I just detailed. And then, of course, you talk about spitting. That's one of the things that baseball, how could you even ban that? Baseball and spitting is synonymous. And even though we don't know what the science is as far as these viruses being able to transmit during the summer times, during the heat, a lot of that was talked about early on throughout the course of this pandemic. We don't know that. Chances are we're going to have to wait and see whether or not baseball does resume in order to find that out. And unfortunately, whether these players get tested all day, every day, we're certainly not going to know until the first pitch is being thrown in whatever ballparks come whatever day that may be. And when you look at just the whole landscape as of right now, I know the NBA is wary of GMs and some of the older coaches in the league, staff, etc., of coming down with the coronavirus. When you have a guy like Greg Popovich, who's 70 years old, Alvin Gentry, who's 66, you have a couple other coaches that are up there in age. Now, granted, I'm talking about coaches that may not even make it to the postseason, and who knows if they even become part of the resumption of the season. As Steve Kerr said, his team already is checked out. They're already in off-season mode, even if the season were to start tomorrow. But that's one of the things that I talked about from the start, and I'm sure that they're going to get tested as well. There's no way that these guys cannot get tested. It's not just the players. You would think this is all across the board from pretty much top to bottom. As of right now, nobody wants to cancel the season, as there were a lot of rumblings, considering that the NBA may be thinking about shutting things down if things do not start to improve, especially when you're looking at certain regions of this country, whether it's in California where you have the Lakers who are the number one seed as of March 11th when the season was temporarily shut down. Of course, in this area, my neck of the woods, the Brooklyn Nets are an eighth seed in the Eastern Conference as of today. Who knows if they're going to resume any games here in Brooklyn, let alone in maybe even in this region. Of course, you have Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, maybe not hit as hard as New York, but we're still all connected here. And even LeBron came out and said that nobody he knows wants the season to be canceled. So does that mean that they're going to pick up where they left off? As I said last week, do they go ahead and play the remaining, whatever it is, 15, 16, 18 games, and then go into a postseason? Or do they take a couple of weeks to look at whatever last five to seven games on the schedule that would have been played in late March into April, just use that as a jumping point, and then blend right into the postseason. And that's not even on top of having to set up another training camp for these guys to get themselves ready, to get themselves prepared, which may take anywhere between two to four weeks. So that's something else that has to be factored in. And on top of that, an hour or so after I finished recording the podcast, it was reported that the NBA had pushed the date from May 1st to May 8th, which would be this Friday, for some facilities to open up so players could go in there to work out and train. And we don't know what the latest is on that. 
We understand that's not going to be across the board for all 30 NBA cities, but at the same time, for those who are involved, or in this case, teams who are not going to make it to the postseason, if they're planning to resume the regular season, they could certainly go in there and work out, whether you're in Phoenix or in Charlotte, obviously the Knicks, teams like that, where they have no shot of making it to the postseason. So this is something that the NBA, and I would think that a lot of the Sports leagues may even look to the NBA, considering they were at the forefront of this whole thing going back to March 11th after the Utah-Oklahoma City game where both Rudy Gobert, first off, Rudy Gobert and then Donovan Mitchell both contracted the coronavirus where they suspended indefinitely. And then now you wonder with the NHL and even baseball to a certain extent whether or not if the NBA does happen to come down with a decision, and they're going to have to make one soon. We're already into May. In fact, three weeks from today is Memorial Day. So when you're the NBA right now, I bet you're on pins and needles and the oatmeal with blueberries is certainly not going down well if you're Adam Silver this morning because time is ticking. And pretty soon you have to make a decision, which pretty much may set the ball rolling for the other leagues. And even though there have been talks about playing in certain cities, I know the NBA had recently came out and said that they were looking to not go to any of these other cities, whether it's Vegas, although it's an option, to have all their games being played there or in Orlando. I know the NHL scrapped the idea of wanting to play in North Dakota and Saskatchewan and other remote places in the country or even in Canada. But as we all know, time just keeps on ticking. It doesn't slow down or stop for anyone. And I'm sure the powers that be at the NBA right now are certainly, and I hate to use this pun, would stick to their stomachs knowing that they're going to have to make a decision pretty swiftly here. And we get that the networks are important to this league, especially when it comes to the playoffs. Obviously, all the revenue that they'll make will be from the networks, the ABCs, the ESPNs, the TNTs of the world. Understandably so, and they don't want to lose out on that. And of course, the owners don't want to lose out on that. But they're going to have to make an executive decision at some point here, you would think, within the next two to three weeks. Because you just don't know who to believe from one day to the next whether or not games will be played or the season's gonna just going to be an asterisk and scrapped altogether. And as of today, both the NHL and NBA are looking to start their seasons in December later this year. So they could go deep into the summer next year and then I guess they would either repeat the same thing the following year or maybe even start a month earlier. But the point of the matter is they're trying to push this sucker to the 11th hour. And I can understand why. But at the end of the day, I would think the NBA will make the right decision knowing that there are still people at risk. The ethical question that I mentioned before, I know it's probably going to be very tough for them to answer right now whether they go ahead with the season knowing that there are people out there. Forget about just dying. I mean, that's that's as bad as it gets. But people that need to be tested in all these areas, And here it is, the NBA, they'll get tested every other day if they have to. And it's tough sledding for them. And I certainly am not envious of Adam Silver or Gary Bettman, Rob Manfred, or even Roger Goodell for that matter. And as we talked about in the past, the NFL's been unscathed throughout all this. But you would think that at some point, they're going to have to face the music when it comes to this too. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later when I get to the NFL stuff. But right now, this is where we're at, people. And I can't draw a conclusion because, like I said, I could sit here and make predictions week in and week out, but what does it mean? 
Yeah, I could say July 1st. Yeah, I could say no season. You just got to take it as it comes, man. This is something that no one has ever seen. In New York this weekend, we can't even get people to abide by rules of wearing masks outside, considering that we finally had some beautiful weather this weekend. It was 80 degrees here in New York yesterday. And all you could see are people in certain areas, and I'm talking about dozens and close to hundreds of people, congregated together on the west side in the village here in Manhattan, and everybody's sitting around or standing with one person that I saw in a photo with a mask on. As if they think that, oh, well, it's warm out, it's great, I don't care, I'm just going to go about my business, and away we go. Where nobody's practicing social distancing, nobody's abiding by it. Now, again, is it a law? I don't think it's a law, but let's be conscious here, people. And not only that, but forget about thinking about yourselves, think about the next man. Humanity's got to kick in at some point. As we know, humanity in 2020 seems like it's gone down the toilet. But this is what we're dealing with. And all I can say is as of this point right now in reference to this, it's easy for me to come out and say, oh, there's not going to be a season. And if I guess you want to put the proverbial gun to my head, and I know that's a bad choice of words, but with the way this thing is going, even with no fans in the building, I don't care if it's just one cameraman and you have the 12 players, the coaches, assistants, medical people, etc. I just can't see it happening. Not when you're looking at the numbers just continue to spike. Now the deaths have come down, which is good because there are some people out there with a conscience and know that if they stay indoors or if they have to go outside, they're wearing a mask and they're protecting themselves and obviously protecting others. But this thing has just been relentless. And I, I kind of hate to say that and make that prediction. Now watch, as I say that, Memorial Day, you'll have your first NBA game. Who knows? Maybe I'm using some sort of subliminal reverse jinx here. But at the same time, how is this going to get any better when it just seems like it's not? So now as I move along, I'm going to get to the NFL now because I want to start off with Don Shula. Early this morning, he died at the age of 90. Lived a great life. I mean, how could you not? Well, if you get to 90, I think anybody on this planet right now, with the way things are going, they would sign up for that in a heartbeat. And Don Shula, who was a longtime NFL coach for the youngins out there, started with the Baltimore Colts. He was actually the coach. A lot of people forget about that, too. He was the coach of the Super Bowl three team, the famous game, Joe Namath, the guarantee, 16-7, down in, ironically of all places, the old Orange Bowl in Miami, which is now Marlins Park. And he's been out of the game going back to, what, 1995, so it's been 25 years since he's been coach. And after all these years, it's amazing to think that with Bill Belichick going up the charts, and when you look at just the grand scale of the NFL as a whole as it just finished its 100th year, the one guy that, I don't say he gets forgotten, but when you look at the great coaches of this league, Don Shula is one who deserves to be up there. I know this is a day to not throw cold water on his stats and anything like that because it's certainly not about him personally. But he had all that success early on in his career, going back to the early 70s, obviously culminating with the 72 perfect season, 17-0, the only perfect season ever in NFL history. Then he won a Super Bowl the year after that against Minnesota. And to think 1973 was his final championship because ever since then, although he made it to a couple of Super Bowls after that, Super Bowl 17 against the Redskins and also Super Bowl 19 against the 49ers. 
but he compiled a ton of wins, was on a bunch of winning teams, obviously had Dan Marino as his quarterback there in the 80s into the early 90s or the mid-90s when he retired. But Shula, although he belongs in the Pantheon with George Hallis, Paul Brown, Tom Landry, Vince Lombardi, of course, but he's one of those guys that became a compiler toward the back end of his career, despite the fact that he had those great teams in the early to mid-70s and, again, was just the only coach in the history of the sport to go undefeated. And Shula, who every year, I'm sure you've seen the NFL films from time to time, whenever the team that is the last undefeated team of that season, they all get the 72 Dolphins together and pop the champagne. Well, unfortunately, they won't be doing that moving forward. So thoughts, prayers, condolences as 2020 continues to wreak havoc. I I can't even recall a year. I know 2016 was a bad year when it came to passings of celebrities and sports figures and other people of that ilk. But sports has just taken, uh, has just been decimated with these deaths. And we know who the list is. We've gone down it. If you All you got to do is listen to all the shows. And the crazy thing is it started January 1st with David Stern. And it just hasn't stopped since then. So thoughts and prayers. Rest in peace to a one coach, Don Shula. And to stick to the NFL here, a couple news and notes. Andy Dalton, who was released by the Bengals, no shock there, but signs with the Dallas Cowboys. And I understand a lot of the Cowboy fans were probably thinking, oh, geez, what does this mean for Dak Prescott? Well, Dak Prescott's going to be a quarterback in 2020. It's just a matter of when he's going to sign that long-term deal or if he's going to sign that long-term deal, which will get the franchise tag off his name. And maybe some Cowboy fans shaking in their boots a little bit, thinking that, oh, is this a sign of things to come? Is this a security blanket? For Dak Prescott, if they don't re-sign him after this year, or if they're going to franchise him again, does he pull a Le'Veon Bell and sits out to get that 30 to $40 million payday? Now, we all know Dak Prescott is not worth that, but that's what the going rate is. And unfortunately, if you're a Cowboy fan, I get you're not paying him, but he's going to take a big chunk of that salary cap. And we all know Ezekiel Elliott's making a ton of money. Tyron Smith is making a ton of money. Amari Cooper just got his money. And the list goes on and on. But I don't think there's going to be any controversy. Is it good to have a backup like Dalton? We know the type of career he's had. He's made it to the postseasons five times. Never won a playoff game. We get that. I think he'd be a very capable backup. Why not? He's had success in this league. He has not played well the last couple of years. That's for sure. And you kind of wonder or you would be concerned if there's a decline on his end. But at the same time, I'm sure there's a million other guys that you could look at backup quarterbacks throughout the league and be like, nah, I think I'd be good with Andy Dalton. So, moving on, the Patriots, they feel like they may have their guy. I know the Auburn coach came out and endorsed Jared Stidham, saying that the spotlight will not be too big. The pressure won't implode him, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. So that could be a good thing for the Patriot fan, as we all know Tom Brady has moved south to Tampa. And the new Patriot era will begin, chances are, with Jared Stidham as quarterback. We know Cam Newton is still out there. And Cam Newton has stated that he does not want to be a backup to anybody. And we all know that pretty much everybody has their quarterbacks in tow as of right now. And knowing that there may not even be a preseason, we'll have to wait till July if training camp opens and there is a preseason of any sort to think if Cam Newton won't be able to sign onto a team that 
would certainly could use or need his services. Because you can look at every team in the league and they're pretty much set at quarterback. So Cam Newton right now is uh, certainly going to be twiddling his thumbs until he gets the call for a team that's looking for a starter. And right now, those chances look slim and none. One team that could possibly use a quarterback, we know that the Bears traded for Nick Foles, but we get that he's been brittle the last few years. And Mitchell Trubisky, who was a guy that was drafted a few years back, number two overall, the Bears have declined his 2021 option, so pretty much this is it for him. So whether that means he does get to start, chances are he won't because of the money that Nick Foles is making, or if he does happen to replace Nick Foles at any point of the season, if there is going to be a season, what he does from that point on is certainly going to determine his NFL future. But as of right now, it looks like it's not going to be in Chicago. And that's the same for Leonard Fournette as they didn't pick up his 2021 option. So he's another guy that's going to be looking for another team next year if he doesn't get traded at any point between now and the start of the season. I know there's another bunch of teams that declined other players on options. The one team that picked up the option was the 2021 deal for one Patrick Mahomes and that's very smart because that buys them an extra year before they have to pay off which will chances are he'll be the highest paid player in the NFL when all is said and done come at the end of the 2021 season but the two other things that I certainly looked at here which I find one the NFL's tempting fate and number two thank goodness that the NFL called off the international games for next year so I'll start off with the first thing. The schedule will be released, I believe, at the end of next week, which chances are probably be a Thursday night. That's when they usually release the schedule. And they're going ahead with the 17-game schedule. And a league spokesman actually came out and said that they'll make adjustments accordingly, but right now we're going to go as if the season's going to start September 10th, which I believe is that Sunday. So whenever the Thursday before that, which would be, what, the 7th, I guess, which will be whomever at Kansas City. Now, that's a little risky because although that they've stated that they have other plans to come up with schedules that will start into October, but for them to just kind of puff their chest out a little bit to say, no, this is going to be in a schedule and that's it, you would think that the NFL would just be a little more, I don't want to say coy, but a little, just a little aware knowing that this thing could continue to go on into the summer, disrupt training camp, and quite possibly the start of the season. So even if they started October 1st, they would still lose out the first three weeks of the season. Well, does that mean that they would move up the season for three weeks? I think the NFL would probably do that. But for the NFL to just say, no, we're going to start as planned. And if we get deep into the summer and have to adjust, then we'll do so accordingly. That's the shield for you. Did you expect anything less? But... I will say that the good news is is that they did scrap those international games because, to me, they're a waste of time. Maybe the fandom in London has picked up to the point where they are now accepting these NFL games. We all know the NFL, as huge as it is in America, is nowhere near as popular or as big as it is overseas. And that's all there is to it. And by them doing that now, good for them. Because now we don't have to worry about these stupid London games and the competition let's face it Jacksonville's playing in these games you got a a few other dreg teams we could get that you get some good teams that go over there and play once in a while but last year I can't even think of who played who I think Chicago played Oakland in one of the games last year you had Jacksonville play whomever uh, probably Indianapolis I, I couldn't even tell you but you're not getting 
quality marquee games played in those London International Series games. And generally, if the game's in Mexico, it's going to be the Raiders because of their proximity to California and Raider Nation is to Mexico City. So it's good that they did that there. And everybody's going to look toward to the schedule. I understand that's going to be breaking news. Everybody's going to dissect that from here to kingdom come. Yeah, I'm always curious when the schedule comes out as to what to look forward to and what to expect. But I'm not going to get so wrapped up into it to the point where I'm breaking down every week and, oh, what key matchup? Because when you look at the schedule on a whole, most of the games are pretty bad anyway. And that's just how it is, so. As I move forward, before I get to the NBA and the last dance, which, again, if you have not watched it, start binge-watching it now because you're missing out on just some of the best content you could ever watch, especially if you're a sports fan. And if you love the NBA, like I say, even if you love sports, but if you love the NBA, you're just missing out on probably the best documentary that anybody could ever see because it involves a guy that arguably is the greatest player in NBA history and one of the top Athletes that the country's produced in Michael Jordan. But I'll get to that in a little bit. I want to get to Major League Baseball and this dangerous game that I've been referring to. Now, baseball, as I said before, they're looking to probably start sometime, you would think, around July 4th. Now, it also bodes the question whether or not what's a legitimate season. And as I've said before, if Rob Manfred and company are looking to start the baseball season, if they push it to August and they play 60 games, to me it's a waste. I mean, why even bother? But we also understand money. The owners are getting hurt big time with this. And chances are they're not going to have fans be a part of any of these games. And we all know a lot of their revenue comes from the fans. And it's not even just the ticket prices. It's the parking. It's the concessions, the merchandise, etc. We all know they get a cut of that. And when you have guys on your team, especially if you're the Anaheim Angels, when you have Albert Pujols, which you're paying $24 million a year, a newly minted Anthony Rendon, which you're paying about, what, 30 some odd million a year. And we all know Mike Trout getting the highest total, about $36 million a year. Owners, listen, you cannot look at them and say, oh, poor those guys. I feel sorry for them. How are they, what are they going to do to pay these guys? I mean, they're billionaires to start. But we get that they have not made any money and the players are being paid through the end of the month. But here's where the dangerous game lies. That even if these games do begin, whenever it may be, and the owners know fully that they cannot pay these players their full salary for the year 2020 because of everything that I mentioned, there better not be a disagreement or a hell or high water Royal Rumble between the players and owners because what that's going to mean for the guy like myself or in the eye of the public hearing sessions about players and owners griping about whether or not they're going to get their money or they're going to get their full salary here when you have over 30 million people filing for unemployment in this country or don't know where their next paycheck is or worse, how they're going to put food on their table. Baseball is going to be on the bottom of the sports chain if publicly this comes out and it's a, as I like to say, a long knockdown drag out 15 round heavyweight fight. In 94, they were able to overcome the strike, which was almost a death knell to baseball. And now here we are 26 years later, knowing that as dire the situation may be for these owners, and I'm going to start with them. Because nobody's going to shed a tear for these guys. I won't. 
But you can't understand how they've already lost a month and a half of, or I'll say six weeks of baseball as it is. They're going to lose another month minimum here. And even if they go to July, where half the season will be gone, there's no way these players could just walk up to the owners or even go to Tony Clark, the head of the Players Association, to say, I want my full $36 million. I don't care what he has to do. Rob Peter to pay Paul, but I got to get my money. I understand that maybe the 25th person on the team or the guy who is the mop-up reliever or the fifth outfielder on the team, the pinch hitter extraordinaire, whatever it may be, is going to look at that and they're going to be hurting. And understandably so. But unfortunately, they're going to be looped in with all the guys, the top paid guys of this sport, and they're all going to be painted with one broad brush. And it's going to be unfortunate that if it does come down to the players going out to the media, bickering about, where's my money? This is unfair. This isn't what I signed up for, et cetera, et cetera. Then, man, it is going to be a long, long, long road back for the sport if that ends up being the case. And the same for the owners. The owners cannot cry foul and say, woe is me. I've already lost tens of millions of dollars. Nobody's going to care. Nobody is going to care. Nobody's going to feel sorry for these guys except the families of the owners that own these ball clubs. That's all there is to it. And the baseball right now, I would think that they would know. And also, let's throw in the agents too. The Scott Borses of the world. Oh, this is unfair. And you, Scott Boris, he'll be the poster boy for this because you know he represents the players and I'm sure he doesn't want the player to speak. So nobody wants to hear from Scott Boris either. But you would think there's a Zoom call taking place right now and have been taking place over the last couple of weeks knowing that this would be a PR, not just a disaster. It would be a PR nightmare for Major League Baseball if they have to endure this and drag this out for any stretch. Whether that means before the start of the season Or if the season does start and then you have a week or two in where players are getting paid now, but they're not getting their full pay. If anybody even gripes about that, man, they will have, again, they will not be able to dig out of that in the public's eye as long as baseball is being played. I don't even know how else to put it. I mean, that's just what it is. So we'll see how that unfolds as time goes on, but uh, certainly something to... Keep in the back of your mind here, people, as or if there is a season to be played and how that will all shake down. All right, now let me get to the NBA and in particular, The Last Dance, episodes five and six. Now the two episodes, they pretty much centered around the 92 championship and the dream team, that was episode five. And you you got some fascinating nuggets from that. And then episode six centered around the 93 championship with Phoenix. Those wars with the Knicks, which I'll get into in a minute. Not that I'm a Knicks fan, as everybody knows, but because living in the city and how huge the Knicks were at that time, those were just battles that people will remember for better or for worse, and chances are more for worse than better. So to recap that and also relive that through this documentary certainly brought back a a ton of good memories as a sports fan. But some of the things that I learned from last night, I love the intro to the episode where they led into the All-Star game and having that footage where Kobe Bryant, the young whippersnapper at 19, wanted to take on Michael Jordan and just seeing 
Larry Bird, who was the coach of the East All-Stars that year, and Magic Johnson, they're all in the locker room together or right outside the locker room talking about Kobe Bryant and how precocious he was and knowing that he wanted to put his fingerprints all over this All-Star game with a lot of the grizzled vets that were on these teams. Well, their name was Michael Jordan, Tim Hardaway, even on the west side where you had Carl Malone, who was on that team. And you had a lot of young guys there. Antoine Walker was an All-Star for the first time. Steve Smith, who was a guy that I've admired, who was on the Hawks that year, who had been in the NBA for about seven years. You still had the old guard and everybody revered Jordan, despite the fact that the younger players were now starting to take over the league. Allen Iverson did not make the All-Star team that year, but still, Jordan was the guy and everybody looked up to when it came to the sport itself. And how they started that off and even getting the interview with Kobe, him talking about Jordan, how he hated the one-on-one comparisons. If they had a one-on-one game for their lives, who would win? And he said, I learned everything from him. So I I can't even make that prediction or even make that assumption that I would beat him. So Kobe was very humble with that. The other thing I found very interesting too is that I get Converse was a huge sneaker back then with a lot of the players, Magic, Larry, Dr. J., And they didn't want to take on Jordan because they felt like, hey, those guys were just as important, if not more than Jordan, considering that he was just starting his career and you had guys that were already entrenched in the NBA. But for Adidas, and I'm sure when they probably saw that, whomever's the head of Adidas, they were sick to their stomachs. And we all know that the kale salad certainly didn't go down well when watching this because for Adidas to pass, and they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the 70s, who was the spokesperson for their shoe, not having Michael Jordan assigned with Adidas, and Jordan was an Adidas guy. Oh my, they, they probably still kicked themselves in the ass over that. Have to. Now, of course, nobody would ever thought to predict that Jordan would be what he is, let alone then than, than what he is now. But that was fascinating to find out how his mom pushed him to go to these meetings, and Jordan didn't want to go to Nike, and even his father said, hey, this is the best deal you're going to get. You'd be a fool to pass up on it. I thought that was very fascinating. The Dream Team stuff, I mean, what could you say? This has been talked about quite a bit we know no love lost between Jordan and Isaiah Thomas and even though and Jordan did give him some dap though saying that in his era or not only that in his era but even all time that he feels Isaiah is the second the second best point guard in NBA history so even for Jordan to say that was certainly an eyebrow raiser but the insinuation about Isaiah even when Rod Thorne asked him and talked about the team and Jordan asked hey who's going to be on the team and Thorne you assume, well, it's not going to be who you think it is. And then Jordan was like, okay. So for Jordan, and we understand that there may have been some influence there behind the scenes, not only just with him, but obviously with Magic and Isaiah, they had their falling out at that time. Same for Bird and Isaiah as the Celtics and Pistons hated each other in the mid-80s. But at the end of the day, you can't rewrite history, you can't change it. But it is an injustice knowing that Isaiah Thomas did not make that team. Whether... It was the politics of the guys on the team, whether it was just his presence alone, knowing that he deserved to be there, but knowing that the the dream team probably would have had a much different feel if Isaiah was on that team. But the bottom line is that he got screwed. There's no way to cut it. And I'm not an Isaiah fan. Listen, I respect what he did in his career. I couldn't stand him as a player because me being a Celtic fan, how could you root for Isaiah and the Pistons? But Isaiah deserved to be there. Isaiah is an all-time great. No matter how you cut it, no matter what you like about him, don't like about him, 
especially if you're a Knicks fan, him coaching that one year and being an executive, getting involved in that sexual misconduct case with uh, Anuka Sanders. Uh, you can look at all that. And the CBA, he, how he destroyed the Continental Basketball Association, all those things. You can look at it and say, oh, I can't stand Isaiah for that. But what he did on the court, the guy was, he's an all-time great. And then, of course, the practices with the Dream Team, we know about that. But getting some of those inside stories were funny. You know, the things that Jordan did. And Magic ribbing him and saying, hey, this isn't Chicago Stadium. But he said, yeah, but it is the 90s. As if to say, Magic, your teams were in the 80s. Your day's over with. Even the Drexler comparisons, how Mike took it upon him in that game one to get the 35 points and pretty much obliterating the Blazers in that first game. Also, the stuff with Tony Kukoc I thought was fascinating, but a lot of that was precipitated by Jerry Krause looking at Tony Kukoc as a guy that, hey, he could be the next coming or the next wave of the Bulls moving forward. And Michael and Scotty, especially in that first game, that first uh, round one medal game, uh, they just destroyed him. And Kukoc said, hey, what did I do to these guys? And he's right. You know, it wasn't Kukoc's fault. And that's why Jerry Krause comes across as a louse and a bad guy in this documentary. You go back to that first episode, spoiler alert if you didn't watch, how he was pretty much part owner of that team, even though Jerry Reinsdorf was the guy signing the checks. But with the way Krause handled certain situations, and he was a guy that had a Napoleon complex and certainly was probably picked on his whole life, so he probably felt as if, well, hey, I'm going to do things my way. If people don't like it, then the hell with them. But you saw even last night in the documentary about Jerry Krause, hey, Mike, you want a cigar? I say, yeah, but you can't smoke one because it's going to stunt your growth. I'm sure when you hear that after a while, you're going to get sick and you're going to do things that you may cut your nose to spite your face, but you're going to do it because you're just tired of it. You're just tired of getting picked on. And obviously, he went about it the wrong way. And even though Kukoc in the gold medal game, he finally played well and there was respect given by a lot of the guys there on the Dream Team. But I thought that was also fascinating. And then Jordan with the flag over the Reebok. Uh, to me, hey, if he didn't want to show the Reebok thing because he's a Nike guy, he has every right to do that. And what could they say to Michael Jordan when you're putting the American flag over it? It was smart. It's not as if he put a piece of black tape over it or he put the metal, stuck it over the logo where it could be, oh, geez, come on, Mike, you're being petty. No, he put the flag over it. He won a gold medal. What can you say? Now, the Jordan thing with the Governor race in North Carolina. I understand that this has been a controversy for Mike going back then. The whole, well, Republicans buy sneakers too. And him not getting the full endorsement of Jordan considering he was from North Carolina. And we all know that the gentleman that uh, went up against him was a racist and it was just brutal. How could you even root for that guy? I can't even think of his name. I'm not even giving him the time of day. But even Barack Obama coming out and saying, yeah, it would have been nice if Mike would have come out and said that. We understand that that's not him. But at the same time, that would have been great to have that full endorsement from a guy who is by far the most popular athlete on the face of the earth. And Jordan came out and said, admittedly, was I selfish? Probably, but he never deemed to be a role model. He never deemed to be a guy that people were going to look to the media that is to get the final word on social issues or things that are happening in the country. You'll see that a lot in this day and age. And we've seen it time and time again, whether your name is LeBron James in particular, obviously Colin Kaepernick, there's going to be guys that are going to once a microphone's put in front of their face and they're going to be asked a certain question about that. And if they're going to give one answer, especially an answer that 
makes sense or is thought-provoking, then they're going to keep going back to that guy. Well, Jordan said he wasn't that guy. And you know what? I can't kill him for it. Who He feels as if I'm an athlete. Who am I to come out to say that this guy should be the mayor or the governor? I think, believe it was the mayor. I may have said governor. Of a state that I live in when I don't even know who the guy is. And as he said afterwards, he did send some money to support his cause. But other than that, I, I totally agree. And now episode six, you had all the gambling stuff, which to a lot of people who look at that as fascinating. I remember back then when between games one and two where he went to Atlantic City with his dad and he got away from basketball and you know what, it was his right. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything bad. I get that it was after a loss and it doesn't look good before losing game two. But right after that, did everybody back then, from what I remember, all that got swept under the rug. Now, if they would have lost the series, could you look at that trip to Atlantic City as being the end all for the Bulls not making it back to a final? Obviously, we'll never know that. But it's just weird how even back then, it was highly publicized because it is Jordan and we understand the magnitude. Anything he does is going to make news. But it's funny because in this day and age, and we understand if Tony Romo goes to Cabo on wildcard weekend with Jessica Simpson between the end of the regular season and the divisional playoff in which that following week against the Giants, they end up losing. So of course they're going to attribute him going away as the focal point of why the Cowboys lost that game. Or if you're Odell Beckham Jr., right after the regular season, the next day on their off day, he goes to Miami and he's on a boat with his giant teammates and Justin Bieber or whomever else was on there and four catches for 32 yards and a bunch of drops and they're going to look at that as, well, that's why they lost. We get that personal lives are going to be scrutinized, especially with high-profile guys. And in this case with Jordan, it's a playoff series. NFL's a little bit different because it's week in, week out, and especially we get to the postseason, it's one and done. But to me, and I get it, hindsight is twenty twenty. but looking back, if he went to Atlantic City for a few hours and he came back and it was put out there, what's the big deal? What if he was in his room? Now, at the time, of course, technology wasn't as advanced, but let's just say if he was in his room playing online poker until 5 in the morning and he ended up losing X amount of dollars, is anybody going to care? Is anybody going to look at that and say, oh, geez, this is the reason why we, why they lost? Or if somebody's going to play video games all night or whatever it is. Now, we understand there's certain situations that you're going to look at and say, eh, you shouldn't have done that. And in this case, that led to other things with the book with Richard Esquinas, the Michael and me about the gambling and Jordan coming out with the guy who I even totally forgot about, that uh, that James Buhler, that he owed him $57,000, but this guy was implicated on drug and other, other things that were going on. And then after the, what was it, the two-week hiatus that he took from the media, how he told Ahmad Rashad to get a camera, I want to do an interview, and then he does it in sunglasses, and Ahmad asks him, hey, are you a gambling addict, or do you have a gambling problem? And Jordan says, no, I don't. I have a competitive problem, not a gambling problem. And you know, whether you're betting five cents or $5 million, if you keep on doing it, it becomes a problem. Now, Jordan had enough money as, as high as he can count, so with him, he's a rare exception. And I'm sure he's lost more than he won. Because when you gamble, it's never the other way around. But at the same time, 
you know, he's actually right when he says that, hey, I didn't lose my house. My wife didn't leave me, although he left later on. But at the same time, Jordan, I guess for, for as competitive as he was, he had it under control. And I guess that's all you can ask because it's never as if, right, $57,000 debt to us looks like, oh, geez, that's a part of a life savings. But for him, it's probably chump change. And I'm glad that they brought that up because you know that was going to be a stickling point in this documentary, whether or not that was going to be broadcast. And sure enough, it was. And then it also debunks the whole Jordan suspension with David Stern. As Stern came out and said that, yes, when I found out that he was gambling and all this came to light, I had to have a sit down with him to see what was going on. But he felt that none of it warranted a punishment or any type of suspension because he felt it never reached a crisis point. And given that how much he earned, not even just on the court, because we all know he made a ton of money with endorsements off the court. So he felt there wasn't that huge of an issue for him to say, you know what, Mike, we may have to suspend you for this. And then you look at the Bulls and Knicks, which were just wars. 93 especially, and that was the probably the best Knicks team out of them all. Now they made it to the final of the year after, and they lost in seven games to the Rockets for the NBA championship. But to be up to love... And then the lose game five the way they did the Charles Smith game. I'm sure Patrick Ewing still can't sleep at night when he thinks about that series. Because the Nick team was very good. They had the best record in the East. They'd be won 60 games that year. Had home court. And held home court until game five. And then after that, that was it. So. And those Nick teams, they were ferocious. They were tough. They were gritty. They had a ton of heart. But they just didn't have enough talent. And that's why they're not, they never got over the hump with Chicago there whenever they played against Jordan. And then you look at Jerry Krause, you know, Dan Marley, that was another thing, how Krause loved Marley and MJ stuck it to him in the finals as far as his defense is concerned. And you have all these little nuggets which are just fascinating. And some of them you forget, some of them you're like, oh yeah, remember that? Or with the Knicks stuff, you just, I remember those games as if they were yesterday, watching them with my cousin JD in the apartment that we shared back in the, Spring of 93. Those games are just, they're forever etched. Now, as we set up these last four episodes, oh, and also one last thing, and of course now, before I even get to what lies ahead for these episodes, and I'm not breaking any news here, but this is how I think these next four episodes will shake down. Of course, he wins that third title. He talks about not only being physically tired, but mentally tired, even more so than that. His celebrity being so big that he can't even get out of his hotel room, as you saw. And even though he went to go golf on those days where he had the time off and him being an idiot, pulling Scottie Pippen when one of the reporters wanted to get an interview with him and then honking the horn on the bus, it's like, hey, time was precious for him. And he knew that he had that window where he was able to get out to be in the public, maybe not with the public, but just have that time for himself and it was precious. And when you're a guy of that magnitude, you want to take advantage of every second that you have. But I would think these next four episodes, I would think episode seven is going to cover the retirement, obviously, the death of his father, and the baseball stuff. And obviously that year, that 93-94 year, also 95, you would think they'll probably pull that all in the one hour of episode seven. So retirement, death of his father, I'm sure the conspiracy theories around that. The Bull team from 93-94, I'm sure you're going to see the tough call there with Pippen asking out of the game and Kukoc hits the shot against the Knicks. The Hugh Hollins call in game five where the Knicks 
Should have lost that game. Hubert Davis with the three free throws with Scottie Pippen. You're also going to have Jordan's return after baseball against Orlando where now Horace Grant, who also was part of the documentary here with the, how can I forget, the Jordan Rules, the book that Sam Smith came out, not only just uh, how to defend Jordan, but even more so how much of a tough son of a gun that he was with his teammates and a lot of the information that was leaked. Jordan thought it was Horace Grant and Horace obviously denied that if you saw that last night. And he felt that it was not just me, it was other members of the team. They shouldn't just look at me as the scapegoat. But you'll have him returning, wearing the 4-5 in that first game against Indiana. You're definitely going to see the double nickel game at Madison Square Garden in late March of 95. Him losing to the Magic where Horace Grant in Chicago gets the players, hoist them up, put them on his shoulders as they walk off to go to the NBA final. I'm sure that burned in Jordan and you're going to hear, I'm sure you're going to hear him say how much of that just killed him and that fueled him for the following year. And then you would think episode eight will be the 72 and 10 year and how they just obliterated the magic that year. They swept them for love. Then you'll have episode nine, which will detail the 97 season and the flu game, which I'm going to be fascinated to see. That was game five in Utah. And then obviously the culmination Episode 10, which will be the end of the 98 season. And how they'll break it down, which will be weird. Because when they do those flashbacks, a lot of those flashbacks, I think, will be for the postseason. So Episode 7 will be the first round against the Nets. The Episode 8 will be the second round against the Charlotte Hornets, which I totally forgot that they beat them in five. Episode 9 will detail the Indiana series that went seven games. And then you'll have the classic ending, the Jordan shot. 98 and it'll close on that note I'm sure and I'm sure they'll play at the very end of that and will not be surprised to hear the classic Donna Summer song Last Dance to kind of cap off this whole thing which I think that's just a little prediction which will uh, culminate in this 10 episode masterpiece and I also wonder before I get to my Hero and Zero of the Week I also wonder how this is going to play out moving forward with a lot of these documentaries we talked about Kobe documenting his last season in the 2015-16 season. You would think LeBron's going to have something in the works. Probably after watching this, his last NBA season will have that. And you know there's going to be a documentary on LeBron throughout his career. The Patriots, you know, NFL Films does impeccable and spectacular work. I'm surprised there hasn't been one about the 18-0 year. I'm sure a lot of players probably didn't want to do that. Maybe it's too, too soon. But you figure at some point, there has to be a documentary about that. Here I was talking earlier about Don Shul and the undefeated team that the Patriots threatened that and they were literally two minutes away from winning it until Eli Manning and David Tyree changed the fate of that game in history. And then Tiger Woods has a 12-part deal on GolfDigest.com which details his life. I don't know if it's just going to talk about his golf life, his whole life, whatever, but that's something I guess you could watch the first episode on GolfDigest.com right now. So with a lot of content to be had here, and with this coming out at this time during this pandemic, you wonder a lot of these, whether the Netflixes of the world or even ESPN for that matter, whomever else wants to get their hands on the content of these superstars, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of this in the days and weeks to come. Not that we haven't seen this in the past. We've seen plenty of these sports documentaries, but now you can see it just being even taken to greater heights because of this documentary. So that's something to keep an eye on. And let's close out here with the hero and zero of the week, people. My hero of the week is former NHL tough guy, Georges Larocque. 
He played mostly on those Edmonton Oilers teams. Tough guy, threw left-handed. Played in the early 2000s to the, I believe to the turn of the teens or to the tens, if you want to call it. Well, he had been training for marathons. He was running four and five times a week. Healthy guy, 43 years old. Came down with coronavirus. He's currently in a hospital right now. Doesn't seem to be life-threatening, but he went on social media to tell everybody that he's okay, he's fighting through it, etc., etc. But here's a guy who was in great shape and training for marathons and came down with this sucker. So thoughts, prayers, speedy recovery goes out to him. So he is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week is who in the hell put this virtual Kentucky Derby together with all the past Triple Crown winners when we all know that Secretariat is the greatest of all time. And shocker, he ended up winning the virtual Kentucky Derby, which was shown Saturday. You're seeing all these different, I don't even know what you want to call it. You had the horse competition a few weeks back with the NBA players and some of the WNBA players. You've also had these online gaming where you had, I think, Blake Snell, the pitcher of the Tampa Bay Rays, won a contest for the best MLB game show. Who cares? So to me, this is just another thing you got to throw in there. I don't know. To me, I just thought that being put together virtually, I don't know. Could have found something else better to do. So it may be a little bit lame, but people, I I didn't know what else to make my zero of the week. But after watching that, or just the highlights of that, I just said, oh, no, this is just, I I didn't like it. Just left a bad taste in my mouth. So that is my zero of the week. My good people, I hope you enjoyed that content. If it's your first time here, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to listen to my voice on everything that has to do with sports. And for those who have been with me for all this time, I appreciate you. And I appreciate the first-timers as well. You know that. It goes both ways. But as I usually say each and every week, considering that I am an independent entity, I do produce this by myself, write, edit, and of course host this thing. I implore everybody to go ahead and please subscribe to this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, etc. There's a ton of other major podcast platforms that I'm on. If you could do that, all it will do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the other ones that are out there. And we all know that there are just endless, countless podcasts in all different genres, but in my small little world and sports. If you could just subscribe, rate and review, I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it just so I could hope to get and generate interest with the outside world who don't know who I am, whether that's the former athlete, the current athlete, the broadcaster, writer, blogger, you name it, to have them on as guests because hopefully in the short term and not in the long term, I want to post two podcasts a week, one to kind of give you a review of the week and then also to have the guests come on to talk about their experiences in sports that I could share with you guys. So Please, go ahead and do that. It takes literally a minute. And during this downtime where you probably watch too much Netflix or scrolling through your Instagram feed longer than you should, all you have to do, again, subscribe, rate, give me four stars, five stars, and say Jay Reels is the man. He's good. He's funny. He's zany. He's whatever. I would sincerely appreciate that. And if you need to contact me, you could do so at any of my social media accounts, whether it's Instagram, Jay Reels, or the Jay Reels podcast, that's Strictly Sports. On Twitter at JReels1, just the number, the JReels Podcast fan page on Facebook. And if you want to do it the old fashioned way, you can send me an email at the JReels Podcast at gmail.com for any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be. You know, I'm open to it, people. I'll be sure to respond and follow up with you on whatever it is that's on your mind. Because as you all know, each and every week, once a week, twice a week, whatever it may be, I love to discuss everything about sports. My passion, this is what I'm doing, this is for you people. 
Obviously, you're the guys that fuel my fire when it comes to everything that happens on the world of the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, on the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the j podcast, on the flip, baby.